Hello and welcome aboard the Giddy Carousel of Pop. What the juggins is it all about, you may ask? Well, it's a podcast all about Smash It's the fortnightly music magazine which ran from 1978 to 2006. And what we do is take an old issue, usually from the 80s, although we may slide a year or two either side of that, and we have a good nose through its pages with a special guest who could be a pop kid, someone who worked on the mag, and who knows? One of these days, maybe even a pop star who appeared on its pages. Simple, really. I'm Simon Galloway, and with me is the ever-dependable Gavin Hogg. Ahoy, hoy, Si. You all right? right there. Yes, I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, you've got a few, uh, j- just to acknowledge the listeners that we've gathered on the carousel thus far. Well, joining us on the Giddy Carousel of Pop on Twitter. And, you know, we've had a lot of people liking us on Facebook as well. So thank you very much to all of those lovely people. I just thought I'd give a shout out to some of our latest uh, Twitter fo- uh, Twitter followers, <laughs> Twitter followers. Uh, so some of the latest people, Richard Button, Jill Turner. We played this podcast, chat album pop, Jamie Liston, Nilo. Oh, and very excitingly, Paul Hanley out of oh, X wow. of the Fall. Out and now of the Fall. Bricks and the Extricated. And Peter Ray, pencil squeezer, the artist Peter. So thank you very much to those people and yeah. the many, many others who are following us. Uh, and I had an interesting experience the other day, Si. Do you want to hear about <laughs> Go on, it? tell us. I went to Buxton Opera House to see Stuart Lee on uh, on Saturday night, went into the bar, and you know when you see someone you've not seen for a couple of years and you like you do that double take, like, I know that face, and it was this guy uh, I know called Brad, a very nice chap uh, who's a, one of the podcast listeners, and uh, not seen him for a couple of years, and he introduced me to his wife who I'd never met before, and rather than normal, this is Gavin, he's a big Morrissey and Smith fan as well, I got... This is Gavin. He's one of the people off the podcast that you were listening to yesterday. That was the first time that's happened to me. So I was very, very happy. So thanks, Bradders, and thanks, Sarah. And she said, I mean, she was on the spot a bit because I said, oh, I hope you liked it. And she went, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it was just... It'd be pretty bad if it wasn't genuine. Wasn't it? <laughs> and you'd have to be pretty rude, really, just to be introduced to someone and go, no, your podcast is terrible. I hated every minute of it. But, uh, yeah, so that was very thrilling and exciting. Yeah, uh, and I'd like to just mention that uh, we got a like on Instagram from Adamski. No way. That is killer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Adamski could be uh, our first pop star that we... Uh, Imagine that. that. That we get on the carousel. That, that well, I'd something. like to have Adam Ant as well. Maybe we could have Adam... And, and Adamski at the same time. That would be a bit of a mouth. Something to aim for, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a special guest with us to welcome on the carousel. It's a freelance pop culture writer and contributor to The Guardian, not to mention former Smash Hits deputy editor, Hannah Verdier. Welcome. Hello. Nice of you to join us. So good to be here. I'm one of your listeners too. Oh, blimey. Well, Ooh. thank you very much. No, no pressure here then. Eh? <laughs> so before we get stuck into the uh, issue of Smash It's that we'll be looking at, can you tell us a bit about your time at The Hits and uh, the kind of pop stars that you were encountering back then? Well, if you like a boy band, I suppose I had some of the most glorious days. It was the days of Five, A1, Steps and S Club were quite big, Atomic Kitten, all the American ones, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. It truly was poptastic. So it's kind of like the last golden age of of pop in a way. I would say so, yes, before it all went a little bit wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But we were were also allowed to put um, our favourite indie people in as well. That was kind of my department. So I was allowed to go and um, interview the charlatans and Ash whenever I wanted. Very nice. Uh, Who who else did you manage to get in the magazine in in your day then? Um, My favourite, one of my favourite ones was I did an interview with... um, 
Corey from Slipknot, which was amazing. It was really, really enjoyable. <laughs> I, I remember asking him who I was like, hey, people think you're evil, but what's your definition of evil? And he just went Martha Stewart. So he was great. <laughs> but I I got some of the big that I'm gonna name drop now. We had Go for we it. had we had Janet Jackson when she came to the UK and she was lovely. And um I went to Houston to do Destiny's Child as well, and that was amazing. So we won't be talking about any of these pop stars. They weren't even born. They probably weren't, were they? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but the uh, the carousel has landed in the spring of 1988, the uh, 23rd to the 5th of April, to be precise, which Hannah has picked out for us. It's got the Pet Shop Boys on the cover, a beaming smile from Neil Tennant, Chris Lowe in a rather fetching sailor's outfit and looking as excited about that as you would expect him to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to read along with us, you can do just that, thanks to a couple of amazing websites. Brian McCloskey's Like Punk Never Happened or Smash Hits Remembered. And we've done all the hard work for you. You'll find the links to this issue in the show notes, along with Spotify and YouTube playlists that include pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this thrill-packed edition of uh, Smash Hits. And we'll also be posting these links on our website, giddypoppod.home.blog. That rolls off the tongue very nicely. And on our Twitter and Facebook feeds, just search for the Giddy Carousel of Pop or at Giddy Pop Pod. So uh, before we clamber aboard the carousel, Hannah, could you tell us a bit about why you chose this particular issue? What what jumped out when you were looking through and, and uh, deciding which one to choose? Well, there were two main things, um, Chris and Neil. No, the Pet Shop Boys cover, I absolutely loved it with the sailor hats. And um, it was, of course, um, Neil Tennant that made me want to work on Smash Hits. I went in and told my teachers that I wanted to go and be deputy editor like him. And they said, don't be so stupid, just go into teaching. It's never going to happen. But fortunately, I ignored them, so that's good. (laughs) But the other thing, I can remember getting this issue so clearly. The other thing was there's an interview with Michael Hutchins, the most beautiful man that ever lived. And the the one-page poster, it's just exquisite. He's all curly hair and smouldering some. He's, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see him in there. It was like oh, who's this? What's going on? Yeah, I, I was feeling a little bit um, weak-kneed when I was looking at that particular oh, page. I know. <laughs> but Michael's looking into my soul here. Yeah. He probably is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the great time when you had, I think 1988 obviously was a brilliant time for music, but you had a real mix of, of people in there. When you've got Jesus and Mary Chain lyrics and you've got Debbie Gibson as well. And the thing that I remember most about the Debbie Gibson interview is she said that she cut up her burgers and I was quite into the Gibson at the time, so I've always done the same. Gibson wow. etiquette. Hamburger yeah. homage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it was uh, over Easter, this particular issue. And just to set the scene a little bit, um, Kylie Minogue, I Should Be So Lucky, had just been knocked off the number one spot by Aswad, Don't Turn Around. The Pet Shop Boys were going to go to number one just after uh, this one came out. So it gives you a pretty good idea of what was happening in the charts at that time. But... Um, what sort of music were you listening to back then, Hannah? Well, I can actually remember when Heart went to number one and I was, as much as I loved the Pet Shop Boys, I really wanted In Excess to be number one, but I don't think they even charted that week. But I was listening to um, Debbie Gibson, Tarja Savelle, because I used to be really into the American charts, like a small 16-year-old geek at that time. <laughs> so I used to take Paul Gambaccini on a Saturday afternoon and kind of wait for it to come, my favourite songs to come to the British charts which sometimes happened and sometimes didn't. Um, I think it was about the time when Salt and Pepper's Push It was just beginning to 
break as well, which is the first song I ever danced on the stage to a couple of years later. So it's a very special time. And uh, so whereabouts were you living and what sort of stuff were you doing? What were you doing at school and things like that? I would have been about to um, take my mock GCSEs and I was living in the world's worst town of Kettering in North Ants. Shout out to anyone from Kettering, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very boring town and all I could dream of was like going to work on smash hits and eventually going to London for the day, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I was just nuts about music. If I, was, um, if I wasn't in my bedroom designing dresses for Princess Diana and listening to Jellybean, then I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Such a geek. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fair to say that Smash It's was played a, a pretty big part in your life back then. Yes, massive. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rip out the posters as well. The song words, I don't, know, I don't know if I needed them. You know, you'd pick that up pretty straight away. <laughs> but also I'd always, um, I'd write to whoever was editing it probably once every couple of weeks. It would just remind me when, it, when I got it from the news agents, any, any chance of a job yet? <laughs> <laughs> and after about seven years, like, well, maybe you could have an interview. <laughs> but I know loads of people who did the same as well. One of my best friends who I worked with there, who was a designer, did exactly the same thing. We'd just write off to them every week. Persistence pays off. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so do you remember when, when you first encountered Smash Hits? Um, oh, yes, I think so. Um, I was a massive five-star fan, which I'm sure you two were as well. Oh, every day of the week, yeah. Um, so that would have been maybe a little bit before. I think that would have been about 85, I think. And they were just, they were pure Smash Hits fodder as well because they lived in that big house in Berkshire and weren't allowed to do anything other than drive around the drive they weren't allowed out so they they their questioning was <laughs> they had quite a lot to say about their lives and obviously with their fabulous style they made quite good posters as well so I think it would be the five star period that, that I started reading it <laughs> Gav where, where were you at in the, in the spring of 1988 <sighs> so in spring of 88 I was still living in Sully Hall I just passed my driving test I'm still 17 I mean to be honest the thought now of a 17-year-old me driving around on the streets unaccompanied fills me with terror. But at the time, it was very <laughs> liberating and uh, and free and, you know, driving to college, driving to sixth form. If my mum didn't need the car that day, it was a lot of fun. As regular listeners of this podcast will know, my love life was often in turmoil. And thankfully, my oh, teenage diary covers some of it. We've so, got the diary. Uh, <laughs> wait, you, you had a love life at 17. I'm a bit jealous I, of you. Well, I was that. almost 18, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Makes all the difference. I'd had a girlfriend for, uh, it was kind of my first serious girlfriend. We'd been together about eight or nine months and the wheels were just starting to come off the oh. relationship. And we broke up about mid-March, maybe a week or so before um, the Smash Hits would have come out. And we were still kind of friends, you know, in Smash Hits inverted commas, but we'd, we'd not had a falling out. And it was my 18th party at the end of the month, at the end of March, which was quite dramatic, really. As Morrissey would have said, I can smile about it now, but at the time it was terrible. Yeah, so it was my 18th. She came, uh, ended up getting off with one of my best mates. Uh-oh. And, no. And then I found out that them two liking each other, there was a bit of an overlap with the last <gasps> days of our relationship. So, uh, yeah, so we went friends for a little while after that. You know, I mean, it's a long time ago now. But I think you, know, you should you name and shame her. I, I Unless you're married I to her I wouldn't now. stoop so low. No. I think you should. <laughs> Read her, I'm married. No, I didn't marry her. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, to a sensitive almost 18 year old that was uh, that was quite tricky but um in terms of pop stuff um i went to a couple of gigs actually i'd, I'd forgotten about um 
sort of studenty gigs. On the 25th of March, I've got in my diary, went to the disco at the Tech with Colin and William. Really shit. Two live bands who were okay. I don't know who they were. But there were only 25 people there. Had row with mum. So that was on the 25th. 5th of April, a bit, a bit later. Now, this was my first sort of proper kind of indie kind of gig. I'd seen Adamant a couple of years before at uh, Birmingham Odeon, but I saw Mighty Mighty at Burberry's. That was like a little nightclub in Birmingham with Claudia, Gull, Colt, etc. Really good. Um, looking forward to talking with Claudia as I'm getting more fond of her. She's lovely. So I'd got over <laughs> my, <laughs> my previous heartbreak quite quickly, you know, bounced back through the power of pop. Um, and then in terms of music, really, I think, I mean, I was buying some stuff. I'd got like the Morrissey album had come out um, around this time and I, I remember getting that. But um, also a friend of mine from college, Roz, she used to do compilation tapes for me. She had a really good taste in music and she had a boyfriend who was at Manchester. He was from Manchester. And yeah, between them, they had a great record collection. So that was a really good introduction to me to lots of bands, kind of John Peel bands and bands that I'd read about in The Enemy, but I didn't really have any way of listening to particularly and lots of great 60s stuff. So, Roz, if you're out there listening, I've not, I've no idea where she ended up. And this was, you know, it's been 30 years since I last saw her, but... Thank you, because you really introduced me to lots of great music, um, stuff like the pastels and the wedding present and, and all sorts of stuff. And also the world of fanzines as well. She was a friend of Pete Perfides and she sold me one of his fanzines at college one day and I'd never seen a fanzine before. So that introduced me to uh, to that world as well. So there were lots of new things happening around that time for me. Well, everybody, everybody needs a friend like, they, like Roz. They do. She they was do. great, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, for me, uh, I was, let's see, in the third year at school, just done my GCSE options, turned out to be uh, not wise options, but we were only the second year that ever chose GCSEs, so I don't think the teachers quite understood what they were talking about. <laughs> but if we ever do September 1988, I shall uh, go into more detail about that. So, yeah, I was, uh, let's see, 14 and a half, pretty much exactly, and that half is is quite important. I'd started making a diary Ooh. around that time. <laughs> they all went in the bin years oh, ago, so I can't... No! It, it start, it start, it, I can remember what, what actually triggered me to start writing the diary, and that was watching the... Um, it may have been the Brit Awards at that point, or it might have been the British Rock and Pop Awards, something like that. But the Who got a Lifetime Achievement Award, right? And they reunited for the awards, and they were halfway through a song, and the coverage ended. They just went off, went into the next programme, you know, whatever was on the schedule, and that made me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> the- Did you start trashing the telly? Well, no, I, I took pen to paper. And I wrote in my diary. Uh, I can remember it was something about they wouldn't do that for sports, would they? Yeah. And, and things like that. <laughs> wow. Furious um, of Sheffield. Yeah. yeah. Um, so but I didn't actually send a letter or anything like that. But uh, along with, um, so I didn't keep my diaries, but I did keep all my smash hits. The one that we're looking at here has got my name written in the top left-hand corner. Thank you, Mr. Newsagent. But I've also got in the Galloway Tape Archive, otherwise known as a box in the loft, um, a load of videotapes and audio tapes from around that time. And they, they tell, uh, the formats tell a very, very different story. Because on, on the videotape, I was just taping my the, the songs that I wanted to keep from Top of the Pops. So I'd sit there in front of the video recorder, just pressing pause and, and then play when I wanted to, to record something. So I've got the, this tape here covers March to October 1988. And the, the first half hour of this is pretty much this edition of Smash Hits. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so you've got on there, and I'm not quite sure why I recorded some of these, but I did. Bros, Erasure, 
Climby Fisher, Debbie Gibson, Wet Wet Wet, Taylor Dane, Fleetwood Mac, Pet Shop Boys, and then we get into S Express and New Order. So we're going beyond this particular edition of Smash It's. But then on the audio tapes, these are all from John Peel shows. And oh, cool. uh, he used to stay up. Uh, so he was on uh, Monday to Wednesday at that point, 10 till midnight. My mom used to work uh, a late shift in, in a bakery. So my excuse was that I was waiting up for my mom to come home. <laughs> So, so I would sit and just tape loads and loads of songs off John Peel. So on, on these three tapes that are from around this time, we've got uh, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Robert Lloyd and the New Four Seasons, The Wedding Present, The Colourblind James Experience, and Joy Division. So I was kind of at polar opposites at this time, still enjoying the pop, but getting massively into what was going on on the other side of pop. You two are such cool teenagers. Do you know this? <laughs> you, or do you just not admit to like liking Tiffany at all? Well. I just don't get it. <laughs> me and my friend Chris had decided in the Tiffany versus Debbie Gibson debate. Oh. You, you had to pick a side. Yes. Yeah, so what are you? Well, um, Debbie Gibson. Of course. Because she, she was a girl after our own hearts. She wrote her own songs. She had her own recording studio at home that she'd bought with money from doing commercials. In fact, I think it's mentioned in this edition yeah. of Smash Hits. And so we were like, yeah, we're with Debbie. She's doing what we want to do. Despite the fact that Chris was listening to uh, Def Leppard and Mon Jovi. And, <laughs> Nothing and, wrong with the leopards. Yeah, and, and, and I'd be, yeah, well, hometown heroes for me. And, um, and, and I'd be trying to force him to listen to um, Iggy and the Stooges and Bauhaus. <laughs> So they, they were interested in uh, lunch times during school terms and things, debating the various merits of pop stars of the day and me clearly moving into goth territory. I never became a fully-fledged goth, but um, there oh. we go. <laughs> uh, so I think that paints a picture of where we're all at in uh, when the, this edition of uh, Smash It's came out. So let's get stuck in, shall we? <laughs> Chris and Neil of the Pet Shop Boys on the front. Uh, five free stickers, but my stickers are, are long gone, so I don't know what uh, stickers we got on there. Oh. Song words including Tiffany Hart and Eric B. Brilliant eight-page pull-out bross booklet and pieces on In Excess, Debbie Gibson, uh, Patsy Kenzie and Erasure, not to mention get 50p off 12-inch singles. And uh, this edition of Smash Hits would have cost you 48p. So let's get in there and we get straight to the incredible world of Debbie Gibson, where she's just given a little bit of a, an insight into her life. We've got photos of her childhood bedroom there, a family photo, holding her dog, Sam. And uh, she's just projecting herself as a clean, living, fun-loving teenager, including the, uh, the the special way to to eat a burger. So I guess this is uh, cutting it up into, into little pieces with a knife and fork. And, and, yeah. and eating those rather than just stuffing it in your gob. That's very ladylike, but I think she claims that everyone thought she was weird for doing that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tiffany would wolf it down in one, I think. I think she probably would. <laughs> she would. She wouldn't have any class about her. Do you still do the uh, the fork and knife routine even today, Hannah? Do you know what? I had a burger the other night. Neatly cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so somewhere between Tiffany and... Debbie now. <laughs> Maybe moved, a little bit. You've moved a little towards Tiff. You grow up and you become a little more dangerous, don't you? And your burger consumption. <laughs> Depends how hungry you are as well. Does, yeah. Gibson level or Tiffany level. If you're Taylor Dane level, don't even get me started. Oh, well. She's a wonderful woman. <laughs> One thing quite strange about this uh, Debbie Gibson piece is when she's talking about hanging out at home with uh, sisters and friends and they start talking about Halloween 
and a party at Halloween. That's exactly the bit that I'd uh, highlighted. <laughs> yeah, it's because most of it is all quite. It's all about being very ordinary and you know just a, a regular American girl and all that. And and then she's saying that she has kind of I guess sleepovers with friends and you know friends around. And says after a movie we usually go back to someone's house and talk. Sometimes we get loud. Last Halloween I had a party where we had a seance, and this bit blew my mind because you think right they're going to contact two people. Who would Debbie Gibson and her friends try and contact? You'd never oh. guess. Sid Vicious and Liberace. <laughs> That's a weird combo, isn't it? <laughs> For an American teenager to try. Why Sid Vicious? Why? I mean, Liberace, maybe. He was, he was an American. a household name, yeah. Yeah, and I guess he'd recently died. But Sid Vicious, by this point, had been dead, what, about eight nine years, years? Nine years? Nine years, yeah. So, yeah, I just thought it was a, a, an odd choice for Debbie's seance. <laughs> Try and get through. I thought she might have gone for Marilyn Monroe or something. Well, yeah, that would be a more yeah. obvious choice, wouldn't yeah. it? So, yeah, that's uh, life. It says incredible world of Debbie Gibson, but really it's, it's life at home with <laughs> Debbie Gibson. <laughs> yeah. And she, she's just portraying herself as the normal, everyday teenager. Now we get swiftly on to what I always refer to as the beating heart of Smash It's, I have to say that, because for me, this this is one of my favourite bits. This is, uh, well, bits, quite literally. And did you notice the, the layout between the, the, the pieces and things? Smarties, and there's uh, half of one Malteser, so somebody must have um, scoffed the rest of the packet. And an Easter egg, it's an Easter-themed bits layout, uh, yeah. which I thought, I, thought yeah. was rather nice. That makes sense. I really enjoyed the Twix competition, where the question was like, What's a Twix? Is it the name of Jermaine Stewart's pet Labrador? So those, those details are, are what I used to live for. <laughs> and would you have been entering the competitions as well? Definitely. Any excuse to write to smash it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so amongst little pieces on Billy Ocean, U2, Belinda Carlisle's Secret Pass as an Agony Ant, got a feature here <laughs> on uh, Voice of the Beehive. Anything there that leaps out to you, Gav? Yeah, the the, uh, the highlight here for me is uh, the fact that we get to learn that Melissa gets spook letters from a devil worshipper. I mean, again, it, <laughs> I don't really know what goes on in devil worshippers' heads, really, but I would have thought stalking a member of Voice of the Beehive would be a strange choice to make. You know, why, why not go for a goth band or, you know, an industrial combo, something like that. Uh, Melissa says, he writes me these love letters and they're all written backwards. He says, I control the fire of hell and don't not like me because I can tell and I'll put a curse on you. <laughs> I'm not too worried about him, though, because I've actually met him backstage once and he was the most timid mouse ever. OK. Well, in contrast to uh, Debbie Gibson's eating habits, <laughs> it says here, they both eat like pigs. We used to have what's-its left for months in the cupboard at home when they were stale and all chewy. Tracy would stuff her face with them. Now she has to have them backstage at gigs. The packets have to be left open beforehand to let the air get <laughs> and she loves garlic mixed with strawberry jam, Bleh, which I think is disgusting. Yeah, she's right. That's just wrong. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> and then something that um, we touched on a few episodes ago when we had Strawberry Switchblade and we were discussing them and said about them being ugly. And here, the sisters from Voice of the Beehive, they think they're both ugly dogs. We don't go in for the beauty queen angle with the band. We both realise we're ugly dogs. The more makeup we can pile on, the better. We never go out to pick up boys. They never even look in our direction. Yeah, I find that a little hard to believe. Sweet modesty. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw them on, on the telly, I fell in love with them. <laughs> <laughs> Would the uh, voice of the beehive uh, capturing your attention at all? 
Mine, yeah, actually. I think it's mostly for the hair, though, rather than the music. But I always got them confused with Strawberry Switchblade, actually. That makes me something of a philistine, doesn't it? <laughs> Similar, but not. I noticed when I was laughing out loud, because when they said about um, Ice House, obviously they didn't get an interview with them. They had to just get them in there. They described them as not very handsome blokes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the thing is that they'd had a hit a few years before, but they seem to have been there. Forgotten about already. There's a little mention here of 14 year old songstress Shanice Wilson, who a couple of years later would be known just as Shanice. She dropped the Wilson and uh, had a, a, a massive hit with I Love Your Smile. A little bit on Whitney Houston to tour, win a wet, wet, wet video. And then we get Des O'Connor. The legend. Yeah, <laughs> popping up in Smash It's. I can't remember. I'm just trying to think now. Why was he, why was he in there? Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> it seems a non-choice. Uh, oh, he's, got a, he's, he's done a cover version of the Neighbours theme. Okay, right, oh. right. I mean, I, I was thinking with uh, Des O'Connor being in Smash It's, that seemed to me very much to be kind of from, almost from the world of fanzines. Hmm. You know, um, Sean Pattenden used to do a, a fanzine around about this time called How to Make Friends and Influence People, and there'd be interviews with like Thora Heard and Alan Bennett and... <laughs> People like that, people off Tomorrow's World, you know, talking about the pop scene. Or, well, actually, no, she would always talk to them about central heating or potted plants. But, <laughs> but it, it's that similar, It's almost, you know, it's almost quite a funny kind of idea, almost like a Viz type thing to have a, a bit of an old, you know, I mean, it feels a bit cruel saying has been about Des, but really. An by old the, croaker. Yeah, by this time, you know, he, he wasn't really on the on the cultural radar so much, was he? So uh, Certainly not as a, as a singer. No, definitely not as a singer. So, yeah, it was a strange... Uh, strange inclusion into smash it's really kind of sticks out doesn't he i do like it i like the randomness of it i remember when i was on smash hits we had a couple of similar things one was uh strange enough i did both these interviews one was bill wyman (laughs) and (laughs) the other one was rolf harris (laughs) (laughs) great days i've still got the cartoon he did for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one really knows what to say to that, do you? No. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Yeah, yeah. Would, you, would you just leave that there for a, for a, a little moment and just, just ponder on ponder. that? I'm okay, though, honestly. That's okay. Well, if, if you do want to talk about it, we're probably not the best people. So. The role for Roo. <laughs> um, and then there's a, a little piece on uh, Michael Jackson and some new Pepsi commercials that he's done. There's four commercials, a series of four, that follow on from each other. Found them all, so I put them on the YouTube playlist if you want to check that out, sitting there down at the end. Um, But Michael was supposed to be uh, live on a video screen to present these, but he doesn't turn up. Uh, They they get somebody, let's see, yeah. Bits caught a sneak preview of the new advert at a special press conference at a snoot hotel in London at which Michael was billed to answer the odd question or two, but unfortunately he got cold feet and instead some bloke <laughs> called Roger Enrico, quite a big cheese in the fizzy drinks trade, i.e. the president of Pepsi-Cola, came on the screen and waffled on for a bit about how Michael is an extraordinarily shy individual who doesn't handle questions very well. It's not something he feels comfortable doing, but if you'd like to ask me anything about Michael... And then Bits asks a question. Has he ever told you a good joke? <laughs> well not really no the only thing that's close to a joke that michael's ever said to me was a few years ago when we were in his living room one night and we were watching the world series baseball after we'd been watching for some time michael turned round to me and said 
what is this? What is baseball? Yeah, I thought that was a little strange, seeing as we had been watching the baseball about halfway through without him even knowing what it was. I love that he. that's the thing that he finds strange about Michael Jackson. Yeah, it does say a lot about Michael Jackson's grip on reality, though, doesn't it? You think baseball is one of America's national sports and he'd been watching it for half an hour or more and, and then was like, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't that when he set his hair on fire on the advert? Is that why he didn't turn up, or is that a different time? <laughs> that that was that was a few years earlier when they were oh. doing um, uh, uh, one with the Jacksons, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, his, his hair set on fire. So yeah. I was surprised that he returned to to Pepsi. Maybe he had a phobia and just didn't want yeah. to turn up after. Had a sudden hair on fire flashback. Come on, <laughs> bubbles, we're leaving. Yeah, but in, in in the in the adverts in the series of adverts, he's he's on the run from everyone from. Uh, there's journalists chasing, yeah, well, quite so possibly. <laughs> journalists chasing him down the street, and he's doing all sorts of things. And uh, he's, he's even on skis at one point. There's an amazing lift off at the end of the ski slope. So they compare uh, it bits compares him to um, Eddie the Eagle Headless. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I think actually uh, Eddie Edwards uh, flew with a little more, little more grace. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if there's anything else within the contents of bits that, that caught your attention or that you'd like to mention before we move on. Um, they did have the, the equivalent of the Bible in there, which was a stock cake in Waterman's How to Write a Hit, which I uh, quite like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talking yes. of the random, the random older <laughs> generation. But that was when they were right at the top of their game. I mean, when aren't they at the top of their game? But that was that was the Kylie era. There was yes. a bit of Sonia, so they they really were the daddies of the manor, I think. Yeah, the juggernaut was in full effect mm. then because yeah, they'd had um, what big success with Mel and Kim and Rick Astley the year before, just yeah. being at number one with Kylie, and then there's there's quite a few Stockaken and Waterman uh, songs appear throughout this edition of the hits. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's getting to uh, pretty much world dominance, I think, or certainly exactly. chart, chart dominance over here. It, it, inescapable from this point on for the next couple of years. But the piece doesn't really go very far, does <laughs> it? Really. Kind of, it? It starts off well, you know, mentioning Motown and, and a few other things. And listen <laughs> to all listen the, to the Beatles. Listen to the Beatles, yeah. And then they kind of quickly degenerates into, uh, well, I don't know if they're, they're just kind of bickering amongst themselves a little bit. It's, it's kind of going off, going off on a tangent, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit they say, uh, no one will follow you unless you keep to the point. Say the song title is Blue Eyes, then you've got to write a whole song about how blue the eyes are. Blue, royal blue, navy blue, sky blue, 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 blue. That's your point. Just think of the best phrases to describe it. If you start mentioning the blonde hair or then whether she votes Labour or not, you've lost people immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's all about the eyes. So were you a fan of the uh, the whole Stock Aitken and Waterman stuff? I I was. I still am, actually. Yeah. I've got to say. But I, what really confuses me is this was this was all like maybe you lot were cool, but this is like a few months before um, the 1988 version of Blue Monday. Yeah. And I don't know how my brain had room for, was suddenly going to go and like New Order, but had all the Stock Aitken and Waterman in there. I mean, I even like Cliff Richards just don't have the heart. He used to, oh, used to go yes, to clubs yes. and dance to that. Donna Summer, This Time I Know It's For Real, that's one of my favourite songs ever. Um, and all the Kylie, when I uh, got my Spotify roundup from last year, Kylie <laughs> was still one of my most played artists. And a lot of it was from the, the sore days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're musical geniuses. Of course they are. Do you share this view? No. Mm, 
You prefer the earlier stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's always the earlier <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Um, I think um, I, I quite like the sentiment um, behind I'd rather Jack than Fleetwood Mac. But I didn't. Oh, yes. But I didn't at the time. I was absolutely. No, that was one of the things was I wrote an outrage, about. Wasn't yeah, it? it was. I, I was absolutely outraged by that, and, and mm. probably wrote about it in my diary. Oh. I remember being quite incensed about that. I'm, af- I'm afraid I hated the source stuff. I really didn't like it. it just what, remi- every single word. Yeah, I think so. I can't really think of any that I like because to me they all just and they still do just sound pretty much the same. Um, they just remind me of bad discos that I went to, uh, you know, and bad <laughs> nightclubs in the in sort of eight, <laughs> 87, 88. And I, having said that, actually, the Sunita song that's in here, the um, oh, Promise You a Secret, <laughs> when I listen to it a little bit, I've got to say, actually, that was that was all right. Yeah. I kind of thought, yeah. I've, yeah, I've, I've come around to that one a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah. I surprised myself actually by thinking, yeah, this is okay. It's all right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean. My, my dad my dad was the Kylie fan. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. He, he had the album. <laughs> okay. Go on, your dad. And, and, and he'd get a funny look in his eye when she came on the television. <laughs> Go all wistful. Yeah, just a, a few years later, Shania Twain had exactly the same effect. On me. <laughs> Has your dad come out yet? <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> Sorry, dad, I don't mean it if you listen. We all go like that over Kylie. <laughs> I had Kylie hair at the time. I had a, the bubble perm. Yeah. And I can remember at this point, I was very banging to neighbours. I think anyone was. But I just had my first blonde highlights. Life-changing moment. And people used to shout out, Kylie! As I walked along <laughs> the corridors at school. <laughs> I bet you loved it. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gav, you're going to look for something in your diary then. Oh, well, I was just, just going to say, because, you know, I was saying... Uh, Saw went really in my ballpark. And, and at the back of my diary, I've got a yearly roundup. So from 1987, the previous year, I mean, Si, you know me a bit. Who do you think my favourite three groups were? The Smiths. Number one. <laughs> uh, were you into the fall at that point? Oh, I was no. just getting into them, but yeah. So, so they, they wouldn't have been in, in, in the top three. I think the Weddows or Bross will be in there. No. No, I did quite like the Weddows, but no, they weren't. <laughs> you too. You too with the second, uh, yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, and yeah. then an old band for the third one, an cool, cool sixties band, cool sixties band. Good name to drop in enemy interviews. Oh, love, close, uh, Velvets. Oh, the Velvet Underground, yeah. of course. And then my favourite singers, showing a lack of imagination underneath my favourite groups. I've got favourite singers: <laughs> Morrissey, Bono, and Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, consistency, yeah. You know, nothing if not consistent. <laughs> oh, dear. So we move on from bits and we get a little two-page spread on Patsy Kensett. Uh, she's down the gym with uh, Sylvia Patterson on this one. And I, I thought it was funny that, that there's no mention whatsoever of her band, Eighth Wonder. No. Uh, no mention of the fact that she'd just done a, a song with the Pet Shop Boys that, that was about to come out. <laughs> um, you don't I'm, need it. I, I'm, I'm not no. scared. It's just all about... Um, just gym picks. Yeah. <laughs> all about Patsy down the gym. A couple of years earlier, when she'd been in Absolute Beginners, I'd have been all over this because, you know, it's like Patsy, she, she was nearly my age. Mm. I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, oof, there's a girl I can fancy. Yeah. <laughs> she's beautiful in that film, though. Well, she still is, I think, but yeah, she's she's perfection. Yeah. Well, she was only like 17, I think, when she did Absolute <laughs> Beginners. So, you know, so to, to me, that, that seemed like, you know, only five years. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable age cap. Yeah, yeah that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I think it's all right if it's like five years older at that age. If you were like five years. No, yeah. Five, yeah, five years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the acceptable five years wait <laughs> to fancy a seventeen-year-old Patsy Kent. <laughs> I think some eyebrows might have been raised. Uh, you know. Patsy Ken's its way if she just started going out with 12-year-old Cy Galloway from, yeah. from Sheffield. Like, this is a bit weird. I want to keep that quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in her Bird's IP advert, I bet you liked her in that. Well, I think that's a classic role, you know. It is. <laughs> that little... little. There we are. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that, was a, that was a good one. I'll keep that. Yeah, little, that was, that was good really good. There. First yeah. time you practised. I've not practised tweeting. I've not done that for years. Oof, blimey. <laughs> Still got it. So we skip on a few pages. Um, we get lyrics for Sunita's Cross My Broken Heart, her single with Stock Aiken and Waterman. Uh, she uh, appears later in the mag as well, so we'll talk about her in a little bit. Mm. An advert for um, the next hit from Taylor Dane, Prove Your Love. I'd forgotten how growly she was. Growl, prove your love. <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff going on. And, and I think she's very... Um, so like like in, in the UK, it was all about Stock Aiken and Waterman. Um, in the US, I think pop was entirely dominated by Whitney. And Taylor is very much going down the Whitney route. I mean, you think about songs like it's so emotional, which you know got a bit of a harder edge for Whitney. Mm. And that's that's the, the way that Taylor Dane's going. And I think Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, to some extent, going sort of semi-down the Whitney route. But we'll talk about uh, Tiffany's song when we get to it, shall we? We've got a, an advert here for the, the, the cover stars, their latest single, Heart. Available in an array of formats. Gav, do you want to talk us through those formats that are available there for the so Heart it, single? So it's a 7-inch, 12-inch and a CD single and a cassette single, isn't it? And then different coloured sleeves. You can either have a Neil sleeve or a Chris sleeve in different colours. I just thought it was just the design of this single is lovely, isn't it? It just looks so nice. And it's a great advert. If you compare it with the Jermaine Stewart advert from a couple of pages earlier, which is really busy in all kinds of fonts and yeah, I can't, I can't even read. You can't even read off of it. That, that hot pink colour, and that's just like out. a really nice kind of classic. You know, they're classy band, Pet Shop Boys, aren't they? And this this design encapsulates their, you know, them kind of rising above a lot of the the noise and the clamour of the pop world and just being classy as anything. And yeah, yeah, it still it, looks good now. I think yeah, that. there's a, a minimalism to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, art for heart. Nice. <laughs> I wish I had all those formats, though, particularly the cassette single. I've got a box full of cassette singles, but I think they're from a bit later. Yeah. Soup Dragons, etc. So then we get to that two-page piece on Michael Hutchins. And what a combination. Sylvia Patterson goes to see Michael Hutchins <laughs> at his hotel room. And uh, I just love Sylvia's writing anyway, but I think this is a great example of why she's so good, because she absolutely puts you in the room with her and you trust her. She's your, she's your eyes and ears and she, her reactions are your reactions as well. And she, she absolutely just guides you through this and you sit there with the same reactions that, that she's having. I think it's a, an absolutely fantastic piece. Hannah, do you want to talk us through a, a little bit what, what's going on here? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think that is a lost art of putting you in the room. I think nowadays people put themselves in the room and then put the star in the room. And I really hate that, you know, if they arrived before the pop star. But she just would, it's not about her, it's totally about him. And the moment where she he kind of starts to lift his top off. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're all there. But I think the questions she asks are really, really fascinating. They, they do 
tell you quite a lot about him is when he gets embarrassed because his first gig was the Bee Gees and then he kind of comes around to it. And she asked the all-important question, do you know anyone called Bruce? <laughs> Which he's also, I can just imagine that. He's, he's Australian. Let's just find that out. And have you ever been sick on an umbrella plant? Which, which brings forth some, some really good stories of sickness. I think a lot of the questions that seem like stupid questions were things to reveal more. Like, I always remember, does your mother play golf? And your answer to that tells yeah. you about, like, all kinds of things about class and family and your relationship with your mother. But I really, really love the bit where she asked him who he'd most like to have a bareback kangaroo race with. <laughs> and just grab some Australian celebrities like Paul Hogan, Rolf's in there again, Olivia Newton-John, but she asks him about Kylie and he just goes none of the above and basically definitely not Kylie because she's got a horrible voice. And this was probably around the time or just before their, their relationship was starting. But then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, she's a nice girl, really. But it's it's brilliant. It's just so – you look back on it, it's so revealing. I love it. And there he is smouldering in the in the trademark leather jacket, just just being so cool. But he's not he – it's not like he thinks he's above all these questions. He just gets on with it. Yeah. But did you watch the documentary about him as well, just – Everyone just saying what a nice bloke he was, and I think this it really comes across. Yeah, no, I missed that documentary. No, I didn't. I didn't see. it. Oh, it's incredible! You need you need to see it. I think it might still be on iPlayer, but it has um, scenes with him and Kylie as well, and they're just so romantic. And they used to fax each other, and I cried at that bit because I thought, what a romantic thing to do! I love it. <laughs> Did they go on any bareback kangaroo rides together? <laughs> I think they probably did, judging by the look on her face, but I don't, that wasn't included. <laughs> and that's when she made shocked. <laughs> what I like about this interview, there's, you get a real sense of his sort of energy as well, don't yeah. you? And, and mm. you know, you said about him really launching himself into it, but he just finds everything hilarious. And you kind of just reading it, you get the impression he's talking at 100 miles an hour and um, Sylvia's throwing these funny questions at him. And it's, yeah, it's just really funny. funny. And the, I mean, there's some, there's some quite odd things as well as a reference um, towards the bottom of the uh, interview <laughs> where uh, she says, is there anything more infuriating than putting on a duvet cover? And he says, I think the most infuriating thing is when you can't find a bottle opener. Of course, I just pull it off with my teeth. Ha <laughs> ha. I tell you, there's some girls in Thailand, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I love the fact that's so <laughs> Yeah. If I'd have read that at the time, I, you know, this was before the internet, and I think the stuff about uh, what certain ladies in certain parts of Thailand could possibly do with certain body parts wasn't public knowledge. Mm. But uh, no. looking back now as an adult, I, yeah. <laughs> I can see where that was going. I think it works beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> it's the insertion of the, uh, the the double question marks as well. Um, yeah. So just like, you know, what the hell is this going? <laughs> on about. Um, so yeah, it's the bit where she, she asks him, "Do you have any interesting scars? Scars? Oh, scars! Oh yeah, I've got a real good one." Leaps out of his seat and pretends to take his breeks off. Oh dear! Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, oh, oh, I know. Wax up a black t-shirt thingy to reveal ripplesque and tanned chest, plus three <laughs> interesting parallel scars just above where his heart is. Again, <laughs> that's, that's quite revealing of him, and he's also revealing himself quite literally at that particular point. <laughs> yeah, I just read Sylvia Patterson's um, autobiography. I finished it um, about a month or so ago and anyone out there who's not read it and yeah. likes Smash Hits from this time, you must get it. It's fantastic. It's a really, really good read. Very funny and, uh, yeah, tender in places as well. It's great. 
Sorry, I'm just I'm just sticking the post up as we speak. <laughs> Printing it out A3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I haven't still got it from the old days. <laughs> I haven't. It's my, in my mum's attic. She's probably moved since then. So we turn the page. Uh, con- <laughs> quite a contrast. Yeah. Uh, from smouldering uh, Mr. Hutchins to Tiffany in uh, what looks like a bit of a home-knit jumper. What is going on with that jumper? Why would you wear that? I think I know what's happened. It looks... I was. When I looked at it, I was like, "What? what is going on here? And I decided someone's decorated a lemon with Mr. Potato Kit stuff and they're at Brands Hatch and that's where the chequered flag is coming in. Oh, of course. I think it's just one of those. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, even by 80s standards, that's a, something of a jumper, isn't it? Bold. Yeah, I mean, initially I thought, is, is, it, is it a Pac-Man thing? Because the, the yellow shape you know, sort of looks like a Pac-Man. Uh, maybe. But why would Pac-Man be eating a chequered flag? I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what's going on there. No. Um, so this is the lyrics for the song, Could Have Been, and there's a, a video on the playlist. Bearing in mind, this is on the official uh, Tiffany channel, this particular live performance of this song. And it's a ballad, and uh, she, she's going in for the, for the big Whitney-style sing. She doesn't pull it off. In she any way really doesn't. She doesn't. I think I know that. Yeah, she doesn't hit it. She doesn't hit any of it. No. <laughs> She's not even close. <laughs> She's several miles away all the way through. It's uh, it's painful to listen to. I had to turn the volume down and take my hearing aids out. Oh, I was no. trying to listen to it. it. Was yeah, it was absolutely painful. Uh, and it's funny because there's a she's doing it. And there's like a she's on like a sort of raised walkway and there's a, a crowd of teens on either side of her, aren't they? It's like a sort of a fashion runway yes. and she's on it. And there's this one lad, if you look about 50-odd seconds in, and there's a little kid on the right-hand side down by her feet who looks so bored. He's only on screen for about three seconds, but it's the best look <laughs> of a kid in an audience ever. It's hilarious. So, yeah, try and find it. Yeah, it's, it's probably like this is the fifth take. Yeah. And that was probably the best one, you know. Yeah. So yeah, God no, knows what the other ones were like. I, I've been in the audience for Top of the Pops and, and experienced things like that. It was uh, when Gareth Gates was at number one with Unchained, oh, no. Unchained Melody. Was that what it was? Yeah. And, Terrible time for pop. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, and sorry, so, Gareth. So, yeah, sorry, Gareth. And um, yeah, he's, he's a, a tea bag magnate now, isn't he? Something like that. <laughs> Look for coconut tea bags next time you go in Holland and Barrett, and I'm pretty sure it's the Gareth Gates uh, company that he started with tea bags. But yeah, so we were subjected to. So we were there um, uh, to see um, Brian Ferry do a set. He was filming for Top of the Pops too. While they were there, they got Gareth Gates in as well, and they got him to record. Uh, unchained melody three times and he had a costume change each time so they could use it on consecutive weeks on top of the pops and yeah our faces must have been like that lads in in the tiffany video (laughs) yeah but like halfway through the second one it's like oh god (laughs) did he go from one white suit to another there was a white suit i think there was a a pale blue suit um (laughs) and an off-white yeah i think he probably was an off-white suit yeah and then tiffany's jumper and the last one (laughs) (laughs) if only he had that that would have been a, a definite improvement certainly for the eyes um on the opposite page to Tiffany, we get uh, the lyrics for These Dreams by Heart, written by Bernie Taupin. 
Didn't know that. No, I didn't That's either. That's a song. Yeah, when, when I saw it down there at the bottom. Um, is this is this a power ballad? Is this what we know as a power ballad? That was power as it gets, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, power ballad with capital P and a capital B. <laughs> and I was uh, I was quite taken with this video. It contains many of the uh, elements that you would see in music videos uh, throughout the 80s, but with that added extra edge of surrealism. Uh, because it's, oh, it's about dreams. But Anne and Nancy, the sisters from Heart, just look utterly bored all the way through. And I don't know if this video is based on their dreams or somebody else's dreams, and that's why, you know, they're just not... <laughs> they're listening yeah. to someone else's dreams. Yeah. I'd be the same. Just not buying into these dreams, you know. <laughs> Maybe they're asleep. Yeah, these are somebody else's dreams. But, yeah, there's a wind machine going and blowing the hair around. There's high kicks. Uh, there's, there's a clenched fist going on at some point. Anne and Nancy are swat. You, know, you see them both miming the lines. You, you know who's who's actually singing this song, uh, and then there's the, the bit where you think there's a, a scene where you think it's it's at a concert and there's all these adoring hands coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And then you get that shot from a different perspective. Oh no, no, it's no, not no, my no, friend. No, it's not at all. It's hands coming up through gaps in in the floor trying to grab at you. Yeah. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, oh, no, it's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> it happened to me only this morning. No wonder they look annoyed. Yeah. So, so I think that that was possibly based on an anxiety dream that Hart may have had, where the hands in the audience start grabbing for you. But yeah, it was just the fact that most of the way through they're showing absolutely no emotion whatsoever, uh, whilst all these abstract things going on. And as it starts off as well, one of the sisters is kneeling by the water. I thought she was doing a hand washing in the river. Looks, yeah. a, looks a bit like that. Washing her smalls on yeah. tour. Yeah, you know, she, she, she's got a, a bar of uh, laundry soap and she's giving them a good <laughs> good scrub. <laughs> scrub. Yeah. We've got a clean stream here. Let's just, just give these, these a bit of a go because, uh, you know, wearing leather pants like that, you know, it's uh, oh. it's going to get close, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Definitely. You wouldn't be allowed back on the tour bus until you, you got those dried, I think. <laughs> Bet she takes a mangle. <laughs> it's such a wimpy ballad, but... There's bits in the video where she's doing sort of uh, high kicks with the yes. guitar and really rocking out. Oh, yes. And it's, you know, it's it's more or less a kind of a Whitney Houston song, but she's doing all this kind of heavy metal gesturing, and it's a, it's a really strange mix, mismatch between yeah. the song and the video, isn't it? And, and of uh, course, when, when you get the, the guys from the band as well doing their <sighs> macho rock faces to camera. Yeah, all yeah. that pouting. Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, terrible. But... Uh, yeah, maybe they look so blank because they realise what a dog-awful song it is and they're just trying to cover it up with this overblown video. That's the only thing I can think of. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's got every single... Uh, it pretty much defines this period of 80s video, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Hannah, did you spend any time with this video? <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're being so harsh. How could you call it a wimp? I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to disagree no, with you here. Right. You How would you call it? You're calling Hart a wimpy, a wimpy ballad. Come on, these, these girls are rock. They're rock royalty. I just, yeah, I think that is, you've got to have an overblown video. Have you not? followed the November rain rule. I mean, you've got to have all those effects and, and the clenched fist, or as it's actually known, the fist of pure emotion. I'm, I'm doing it now. I can't think about it without bringing them down. Yeah, yeah I just think they're, um, yeah, they're sensational. And it's a sensational video. It's tremendous hair, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hmm. 
So skipping past Oswald, don't turn around. Their song that was uh, number one. When Very this, wise. Yeah, yeah. When this particular edition of the hits was out, uh, we get to RSVP. Uh, Hannah, did you ever write to anyone through RSVP, or did you even send a letter in? Do you know what I didn't? But um, what's occurred to me? What glory days were we in where you could put the full addresses of a 13-year-old girl and just they'd get some pop pop letters and nothing else? <laughs> what a glorious time. It's a time before P.O. boxes. <laughs> when, by the time I'd got to just 17, um, it, it was P.O. boxes all the way when they're writing to those uh, agony aunts, am I normal? But I just think it's, it's very... Uh, it's very trusting. What a beautiful era. Yeah, well, I think they've made a slight nod to data protection because they used to have full names, you know, people's second <laughs> name, and then now it's just the first name. So I think that's... Oh, that's fine then. <laughs> you can still go around the house if, if you're that kind of person. I like the, uh, the second lad down. Hello, my name's Anthony and I'm 16 years old. I'm willing to write to anyone, anyone, between the age of 16 and 18. He's just willing to write to anyone he is. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, uh, it's got quite an international flavour yeah. um, going on, on as well. You've got um, people from Germany, Japan, France, Canada, Zimbabwe and Chile. Uh, there's two people from Stockport as well. That's just over the hill from from where we're recording now, uh, particularly Marple. So you know, I, I was driving that way earlier on today. I should have you know just just dropped by um, that that particular road to see if uh, I was living there. Oh, K- Kirsty, uh, she she was living. Oh, sorry, in, yeah, in, in Stockport. How can you how can you drive around alone in Stockport after watching The Stranger? If you not watched that. Only episode one. Oh, it's not safe out there. You two go home together. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but Claudia sounds fun. Is that who you would have written to again? I'd have, I'd have either written to Claudia or uh, Patrick, uh, who's the top of the final column, who liked uh, the Smiths, the Pogues, the House Martins and the Communards. But I think Claudia sounds cooler because she was a bit older and she lived in Germany. I and, think Claudia uh, would have got most letters there. I'd have been tempted. Yeah. She's mad about the cure, Depeche Mode, the mission, Susie and the Banshees, and lots of pop. She's lying about the pop just to get in there, isn't she? Yeah, is. She's a full-blown German goth. That's what you're dealing with there. <laughs> just trying to widen the net a little bit. <laughs> you'd, you'd go over on your exchange expecting, like, a bit of stock cake in a water, and she'd bring out the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> Just be, it would be an education. <laughs> That'd be one I'd have been willing to take at that time, I think. I bet it was, yeah. <laughs> Cheeseburgers, carrot cake and coffee. Yum. And it's the Pet Shop Boys in New York, written by Chris Heath. Oh, this is just the greatest combination, though, with <laughs> the boys, New York, and then with Chris Heath. I mean, it's it's great. He probably doesn't even have to ask the questions. He, he is a Pet Shop Boy. <laughs> I really I really love the fact that they're, um, they kind of make reference to the fact they went out and met as they, I think they call him sort of famous dance producer Bobby O, which is because <laughs> he launched their career. But, um, and the fact that they see one of Hall and Oates and they're not sure which one it is. Is it Hall or is it Oates? Turns out to be Oates. Just great. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting how they mentioned the trip to New York that uh, Neil Tennant had made. It was a work trip. <laughs> yeah, uh, reviewing the police at Shea Stadium for smash hits, <laughs> but managing to uh, fit in a little trip to see uh, uh, Bobby O and seal the deal to get the Pet Shop Boys music career off the ground. I do remember when they announced that he was leaving to be a pop star and I thought it was a joke. I thought he'd just be back next week. Gutted. Well, until I heard the song, but... 
It's like, what, what are they talking about? Um, and then uh, just talking about um, people that they've met. They went to Antigua to record and uh, bumped into her, our old pal, Major. <laughs> As you do. Major was hard at work on his new LP. So did he play them some songs? He did actually, says Chris. And... Oh, says Neil, as the limousine rather conveniently draws to a halt. We're there. So they managed to duck that question. Yeah, I think the timing of that is hilarious. It's really funny. <laughs> and then we get Chris Lowe's photographic guide to New York, which is, let's see, eight Polaroids laid out in a gallery-style fashion. And uh, he's considering it art when you look at um, photo number two, Culinary Delights 1, Cheeseburger and a Cup of Coffee. 1988. It's early Instagram, isn't it? That's before its time. Yeah, it it is, yeah. yeah. And uh, Chris describes it as a nice diagonal composition there. Abstract, (laughs) I think. It is obviously a photograph of a cheeseburger and a cup of coffee, but really I look at that and I see an abstract work of art rather than anything specific. I see shape and colour and texture. You can't really relate to it as food. <laughs> exactly. Imagine if he'd have said one day you'll all be photographing your burgers and putting them online. Yeah. It'd blow your mind, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would have done. It really would. These are good photos, aren't they? Then they're great. They are. I like them. I quite like uh, photo. Uh, well, photo number five is Chris Lowe in the sailor's outfit again. That unfor- <laughs> number five. That unfortunately is how I look. Brackets, but not how I like to think I look. Close brackets. Oh. Nineteen eighty-eight, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then number eight is Neil Tennant in a rather fetching suit jacket. Uh, where did you get that jacket? Nineteen eighty-eight. Actually, it's a nice jacket. Where did you get it from, Neil? Neil from Sherry Varys yesterday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So just like uh, on this one, they know the format that they're dealing with and they're just having a bit of fun with this one, which you, you didn't always come across when you saw them on top of the pops or you saw their videos. But I think in, in the Smash It's pieces uh, with the Pet Shop Boys, you really do get um, a sense of fun and they're just kind of playing with the form a little bit because Neil knows exactly exactly what he's doing and exactly yeah. how to play it. There's quite a revealing bit actually in there um, where you're saying about him knowing the form because they're, he gets on a bit of a rant about the record company and uh, starts going on about it and then obviously the smash it's journalist bit of his brain kind of kicks in because then it goes anyway neil size i could do an entire interview about emi but there's nothing more boring than pop stars complaining about their record companies so he's he's had a word with himself and just thought no exactly (laughs) he must have done that interview a million times with other people and just thought (laughs) i'm not going to be that guy but it was it's a really funny piece isn't it it's lovely again it's that thing of just feeling like you're there with them and you're you're going around New York, travelling in cabs and going to parties with Annie from Amazulu, you know, and, <laughs> and, and going for cheesecake and carrot cake. And it's um, it's really funny. They've got they've got such a good sense of humour in this piece, haven't they? Yeah. Um, Hannah, is, is Pet Shop Boys ever a band that you've encountered in your professional life? So to, to interview or anything? No, and I'm really gutted about it. Bitter, some might say. <laughs> I've been to see them so many times. And I think I worked one place, I worked on a X Factor magazine that didn't, last very long we got an interview with them but i wasn't the one to do it gutted they're still on the list but the thing about them being so miserable is you see them on the radio 2 concert in last autumn it was so euphoric everyone was loving it so much chris started smiling i've never seen that before (laughs) at any gig it was amazing and they were both kind of smirking i've never seen them like that before it's a beautiful experience
Africa Bambata and Family featuring UB40 and the song Reckless, which I have no recollection of. No. What, really? It's the only good UB40 song out there. I'd recommend you listen to it other than any other UB40 <laughs> song. It reminds me of school discos, bizarrely. I didn't remember uh, this one at all, but Gav, you uh, highlighted some well, lyrics there. Yeah, I was just looking through some lyrics and I, I found some of them a little bit... Um, Troubling. I mean, we, we looked at UB40 in the very first edition of Giddy Carousel of Pop, didn't yes, we? we did, and yes. there was a very, uh, quite a miserable interview oh, with, yes. with them. And they were they were very cynical and just all about the money and uh, just, yeah, came across as not being very happy at all. And then this is a few years later, and I think they've all written the lyrics together. But it's basically, it's a story of someone being on the dance floor, meeting uh, a foxtress, on the dance floor and trying to uh, impress her with dancing skills, I think, but she's kind of maybe uh, got eyes on someone else as well. And then the lyrics say, uh, this is the message you should discover. You can't trust a girl or judge them by the cover. They can lead you on and keep you in a daze, keep you head over heels and keep you amazed. It's up to you whether you fall in the trap. Just remember when you push up to have a strong rap. <laughs> and that's a, Nowadays things are real funny. You can bet more than likely all she want is your money. Um, yeah, girls are all the same everywhere. You can bet all they want from you is what they can get. I'd say it's not the most positive uh, depiction <laughs> of, of women out there. Oh, you'd be 40. Like they're going to go for you for your face. Oh, <laughs> like you're trying to kid themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, when I was reading through the lyrics, it felt like about three different songs. Lyrics from three different songs just kind of patched together. Yeah. But it has got, it's got a fox just singing on it. And I can't think who it is. The name escapes me, but she was a very foxy woman. Giving it a bit of the don't make the move, UB40, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's great. Oh, she must have been part of the family that with uh, African yeah, I think she's a family. Yes. <laughs> In the middle there, either side of the Bross pullout, uh, a poster of Wet, Wet, Wet. But let's talk about Bross, shall we? Oh. The, the gift that keeps on giving uh, in, in terms of the smash hits and interviews. We encountered the boys on episode two of the Giddy Carousel of Pop when Craig Logan had recently left the band. But we're a year earlier on this one. Craig's still firmly part of the trio. And there's a personal profile or fact box, uh, as it says, of each member of the band. So it's mostly photos, but then you get these uh, these fact boxes here. And I'm starting to wonder if Bross are some sort of like high art avant-garde project. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, is, is, it, is it a great art hoax or something like that? Because I was listening to, to Drop the Boy, uh, which was the, the single that was out at the time that this was out. And it's so abstract. There's very little song to kind of grasp onto. There's all these different elements and there's this guitar that comes in from nowhere, doesn't really belong in the song. It's not the sum of its parts in any way whatsoever. Very difficult to grasp onto any sort of tune. And I just started thinking, is this some sort of avant-garde <laughs> joke? Do you think they're like the bands that KLF could have been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a great theory, so yeah. The more I think of it, the more I think, actually, there could be something yeah, in that. Because nothing about them makes any sense whatsoever. No. Not them and not their music. Either that or that they are just genuinely innocent and barking mad. Uh, and I, I, don't know, I don't know which it is, but... Um, Matt and Luke's fact boxes, uh, there's some, some pure gold uh, amongst these. <laughs> Hannah, there was anything that kind of leapt out to you, any, any little nuggets or, or, or facts <laughs> that oh, you'd like yeah. to share? 
See, I'm about to blast you now, but I'm actually about two years too old to like Bros. Yeah. I just there's there was nothing there for me. I was I was past it by then. But um I like the fact that uh Craig was a monstrous baby. <laughs> they used to call him Ken, didn't they? Not Ken. Craig. Yeah, Ken. Ken. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things where they've said quite boring things and they've just had to really big it up. <laughs> Something about Luke being an astronaut and Matt trying his hand at acting when he was younger. Mm. Gav, anything that leaps out to you from the fact boxes? I, I think Matt's um, getting very upset about the dolphins. It's quite yeah. this <laughs> it's beautiful. It says that the the sort of the headline bit is he's a bit of a crybaby sniveller, and Matt says uh, there was this film about two dolphins who could speak. Poo. <laughs> I really <laughs> cried at it. At the end, the army came to take them away so they could populate the oceans. And their dad was trying to make them go for the sake of the species. And he was saying, Daddy hates you. Go away. Daddy doesn't ever want to see you again. And the two dolphins were saying, we love you, Daddy. Well, I went straight upstairs and booed my eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a lovely little revealing window into the world of of Matt. He says he he just wants to watch a video and have a kiss and cuddle. Oh, that made me laugh as well a bit about having a girlfriend, yeah. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, what what was it say? Um, Within an hour, I think I'll know. He believes in love at first sight. Because within an hour... um, I think I'll know, because when I see this person, I'll feel something. I'll think, oh, she's lovely, whether she's ugly or not, because there'll be something about her eyes or mouth or nose or something, then I'll talk and I'll know whether she's a nice person or not. She would have to be a nice person and be able to make me laugh and feel nice and look after me. That's the most important thing. Oh, that's beautiful. It is. I mean, I was saying on the on the last podcast when we talked about Bross that I felt that the Goss brothers had invented the character of Stath from Stathlet's Flats. And for anyone that doesn't know Stathlet's Flats, watch them, they're on all four, and then go back and read these Bross interviews because you just do them in the Stath voice and it it's exactly like that. It's amazing. <laughs> They've invented a comedy character here, the two of them. Uh, well, you get a little insight as well into the, their childhood when Matt talks about any scars or defects. Uh, and he says, I've got a scar in the middle of my forehead which loses... Luke did when I was about seven. I was on a stool with wheels and Luke kicked it for a laugh and I fell forward and split my head open. (laughs) It was actually that wide, indicates the width of his entire forehead. I remember blinking and the blood dripping onto my eyelashes. They've always been so turbulent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then Luke talks about um, when he was born, he says, he he was unfinished when he was born. (laughs) I had no eyebrows or eyelashes or any hair whatsoever when I was born because we were premature. I don't think my nails were ready yet either. And my mum didn't want to kiss me because I was so ugly. I was pretty glad to see the back of the day I was born. I mean, there I was, expecting another two months to go, sitting back, relaxing and watching the telly. And suddenly I popped out without anyone realising. I thought, wait a minute, I'm not finished yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the idea of him popping out like a tortoise without a shell on you know just this like weird little thing without any nails or hair or... i can imagine oh, it yeah but it's how he remembers being in the womb <laughs> watching telly in the womb yeah. that day and he, yeah. yeah like you said he wanted to be an astronaut and he says uh, i was mad about being an astronaut when i was young but when i found out about how many qualifications you needed i decided i'd skip it and save that for my next life haha <laughs> <laughs> I'd like us to be the first band in space. That'd be a grin. 
Question mark. <laughs> yeah, and then he talks about um, having uh, learning to swim as well. I remember learning to swim when I was four too. My mom used to take us to the local swimming pool and chuck us in. Swim, you bastards! Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. No, she gradually taught us. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, Craig's is just uh, utterly disappointing oh, compared to that. Oh, he's boring. And, isn't so, he? so I think I, I, the writing's on the wall here. But with yeah. his this fact box, and then if you watch his dancing on the Top of the Pops performance of Drop the Boy. Mm. Whoa. He got dropped. Oh, and his fear of small dogs. Yeah, he, he just had to go. There, there was there was no other option for Ken. Poor Ken. Drop the Craig, drop the Craig. Yeah, drop the Craig. Yeah. <laughs> but he's never been a miserable sort, so, you know. No, fair play. He does have that to him. <laughs> and Bross even getting to Get Smart, where people write in with questions about things. Dear Get Smart, you have to help me. I'm in love with Matt from Bross's Shoes, the ones which have the weird things like watches, playing cards and bottle tops on. Where does he get them from? And he talks about the specific shoes with the watch on, but then mentions the bottle top ones. Uh, it says, the bottle tops you've seen him sport come from Grolsch lager bottles, and if you want to get hold of these, you'll have to bribe Dad to buy a couple. They cost about £1.50 a bottle the next time he nicks out to the local pub or off-licence. <laughs> and then uh, there's a, a letter here. A Madonna fan in Bexhill asking, is Madonna doomed? Dear Get Smart, I'm rather worried. Recently, I read a newspaper article saying that Madonna is dying of cancer. I noticed she hasn't been in the public eye much lately, which makes me suspect something's wrong. So could you please tell me the truth? And this relates to something that David Hepworth was talking about when when we had him on the podcast. He said that was one of the things that people used to write in or even call about more than anything else. You know, it'd be like, is boy George dying and that sort of thing. So Hannah, did you ever encounter that sort of thing when you were at Smash It's people getting concerned for the welfare of their favourite pop star? I think so. We'd got... We would have the odd people kind of turning up, hoping that they might just be in the office <laughs> as well. And and I remember when we did the Smash Hits tour, the fans used to, uh, in the middle of the night, just be getting your sleep, and they'd um, just set the fire alarm off to get everyone out so they could take a good look at their favourite pop stars. <laughs> nice. But it was kind of before the internet as well, so people would see the hits as the authority. So, yeah, you'd you'd get the letters. <laughs> Let's look at an advert here for NatWest, the Action Bank. Fill in the blanks and get four blanks free. It's an advert for getting a a NatWest account. And uh, you get a four-pack of Memorex C90 cassettes. Yeah, not even TDK. You get the Memorex. Well, this is it. You know, Christmas presents. That was one of my favourite things to get, blank tapes. Oh, lovely. So my mum and dad or siblings would know, get me TDK or Sony. Yeah. But you could always guarantee there'd be an uncle somewhere who'd give you a pack of Memorex. And, oh, what am I going to do with them? The disappointment. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, you know, I'm not going to make my special compilation tape using one of them. Yeah. So, you know, they'd be used for, you know, recording stuff off the radio that I'd tape over. Or I was learning to play guitar at that point. So I'd <laughs> just record endless hours of me. Let's use it for that. Yeah. Just str- strumming away uh, <laughs> and wailing into the microphone. There, there are a lot of bank adverts in this issue as well, aren't there? There's several for yes. uh, like Woolwich or building societies and stuff. Um, Do you remember that was quite big back then, though, trying to lure teenagers and kids yeah, into the bank? Yeah. I remember the... Uh, who was the ones that did all the piggies? I was quite tempted by those. You could get the set of pigs. My friends got the whole set. Was it the Midland or the NatWest? I think it was NatWest because I went with Midland. Was that that had the Griffin that Savers? The Griffin, you got the a Griffin, nicer yeah. pen. 
Yeah, you got a griff- or griffin paraphernalia and you got a much nicer pen. It wrote really nicely. <laughs> oh, what a geek. <laughs> Tell you what, you didn't get any of that with the Yorkshire Bank when I opened my account. <laughs> oh, I bet you didn't. Not even a tea bag for you lot. <laughs> Just a lesson in life, that is. You got a bloody account. What more do you bloody want? <laughs> and, um, got the lyrics for um, Love Changes Everything, Climby Fisher. Um, <laughs> Cav's pulling a face at that one. It's the picture of, is that Climby or Fisher? I don't know. The, uh, the one on the right. I think, yeah, Simon Climby was a singer, wasn't he? Rob, yeah. Rob Fisher. Yeah, he's on the right. It's halfway between uh, young Elvis and Brian Ferry in that picture, I think, isn't he? It's, but he's been on a, a sunbed as well. Yeah. Bit Judith Chalmers. <laughs> that is a banger of a song, though. Are you not in agreement about this? I think you can predict my answer. Oh, <laughs> no, come on. No. What is wrong with you two? <laughs> Put it on. I recorded this one from Top of the Pop, so I, I, right. I did, did like it at the time. It's one of the stronger pop songs from the era, I would oh, say. Faint praise. Yeah, faint when praise. You, right, when you make a mixtape for someone now, yeah. do you put it on? Oh, God, no. What? <laughs> Let me tell you, the ladies are going to dig it if you do. (laughs) Not the ladies I know. (laughs) Claudia in Germany, she wouldn't be digging. Claudia would be like, oh, you have turned me with your climate fish away. (laughs) I reject the mission and the cult now. (laughs) Uh, And then we get a personal file of Sunita, uh, which is, this is quite a piece as well. Yeah. Hannah, any particular bits stand out for oh, you from, from this? What doesn't stand out? Oh, my gosh, out? what doesn't? She. <laughs> so my favourite bit is when they ask if her and a twin are identical and she says, are we identical? Not now. I think we'd have to work at it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um, and they also ask the important question, why do you never wear very many clothes? Because <laughs> she's little. Are you really in love with Whitney? And the answer's kind of yes. And she reveals that chief T-boy of pop, Rick Astley, makes horrible tea. (laughs) And when they ask her to write a poem, instead of just like, no, she comes comes good and she writes a poem about bubbles, (laughs) Michael Jackson's monkey. I thought that was very impressive. She came up with that off the top of her head. That was very good. Do you think Pete Waterman was in the background, like, prompting her? <laughs> what, I'm just bubbles. <laughs> Talk about his monkiness. Would you care to uh, read that poem out to us? Oh, sorry, Grandma here's just getting her glasses on. <laughs> so they say, can you think of a poem about bubbles? Now, if someone said that to me, and I always think about this when I'm asking a question, no would be the answer. <laughs> but she says, oh, I'd quite like to be bubbles for a day, actually. Let's think. Oh, God, how about... I wish I was Michael Jackson's bubbles, so I'd get into lots of trouble. He could introduce me to Whitney. Wait a minute. I'm never going to find anything to rhyme with Whitney, am I? Can you finish it? Oh, I know. He could introduce me to Whitney and then leave. And then she bursts into hysterics. <laughs> what, what a pop poet she is, though. I mean, this, is, this doesn't come as a surprise to me because she, uh, she did Toy Boy, she did Big Red... GTO. So I think she's got the credentials, but she just brings it on the day. I love it. Well, I can't decide whether she's got low self-esteem or, or whether she's some sort of sociopath. Really? Because when, when it asks her about her first crush, it says, oh dear, unfortunately, all my first crushes were on girls. 
who I had as heroes because I was a wannabe person. I'd always want to be just like someone. And then she names people. And she she mentions Whitney Houston. Yes, I am in love with her. It's going on like that. And I think, you know, you've got to be worried for your own personal safety if Sunita takes an interest (laughs) in you. (laughs) I think Gary Christian must be very worried. He gets a few mentions. Yeah, I'm getting a bit of a single white female vibe from this, to be honest. It says, uh, one of the questions asked is, have you ever had a pillow fight on the roof of a cottage? and uh, she starts talking about Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush and whether Kate Bush is pregnant with Peter Gabriel and then she says, anyway, I'd like to have a pillow fight with Gary Christian though I don't think he likes me because I've been harassing him I went off Whitney for him it sounds a bit threatening, doesn't it? Very yeah. threatening, yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's, she's she's one confident woman though i mean we yeah. already know she is by the way she only wears palm leaves these days but um <laughs> to actually come out with with all that it's it's very modern well, i think there's obviously some sense of self-awareness because at the end she says uh, that was the craziest interview i've ever done i'm a bit worried <laughs> about how this one's going to turn out <laughs> <laughs> so is Gary Christian, I think. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. And she likes Prince, but she doesn't think she'd get on with him. Do me a favour, of course she would. She definitely would, yeah. Like, is she small? Yeah. He's small. Match made in heaven there, I think. I think so. <laughs> Moving on, we get a couple more lyrics. Uh, Love is Contagious, Tarja Seville. Yeah, you, you mentioned Tarja Seville uh, earlier, didn't you, Hannah? Mm-hmm. That's a good song, isn't it? Love is, I'd forgotten about Love is Contagious. That's a good tune. It's brilliant. See, I was, well, still a massive Prince fan, so anyone kind of associated with uh, him, a bit of Sheilery, a bit of Tarja, anyone, I would be, I'd be right in there. But it's a really, really good song. The chorus is lovely. It reminded me a bit of sort of Saint-Etienne and that, mm. you know, it's got that drifty sort of feel. Mm. And, yeah. I, I bought it from a, a charity shop last year the single of it and i was very surprised to see how old it is i didn't realize mm. that it was from that long ago it, it feels it doesn't sound for that time really no it doesn't no. it sounds it sounds a no. lot more a lot more modern i was thinking yeah it's mid 90s that but no mm. completely wrong 1988 you could put it out now you could put it out now i think it's probably something to do with the uh, prince's involvement on that one Now, letters page, anything that stood out? I, I, I couldn't pick anything out here. It's kind of in that period where it's hard to decipher what the flip's going <laughs> I like that period, though. Although I can't pick anything out, um, Black Type is uh, one of my heroes, actually. Yeah. And I, I would say that Black Type's the person that um, informs my writing style more than anyone else, but probably just with the overuse of inverted commas. But it's just pure genius. It's bonkers. I, I would think at this period, I think it's Tom Hibbert doing it, who's mm. like the best writer ever. And if you haven't read his uh, interviews, there's a, a really good roundup of all his Q interviews, and each one is absolutely amazing. So I think this is this is a beautiful tribute. And I've got a black type tea towel as well. Is that the Who the Hell Do You Think You Are compilation of Q stuff? Yeah, I'm just looking. To, I'm like, yeah, Who the Hell? Yeah, and who I, the hell? I think you can get it secondhand these days. But um, if anyone wants to borrow mine, just <laughs> I'll give you my address at the end of the podcast. Read it out. I'll send it to you. Do you still have your black type tea towel? I do, yeah. It's, it's a remake, but oh. it's in my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever I, if ever I get stuck on an intro or can't think what to write, I just get out the... Uh, the Tom Hibbert book, and it just sets me right. It really does. He's a genius. So we get to the singles review. Uh, the singles here being reviewed by Erasure, Andy Bell and Vince Clark. And 
and whether it's the selection of records that's not inspiring them or whether they're just not very charitable people <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but there's absolutely I love it. there's absolutely nothing here uh, ticking their boxes <laughs> and yeah it's fantastic i love the way they hate everything yes even the song that they pick out as single of the fortnight pet shop boys heart they don't like that either. No, not particularly. <laughs> no, they very begrudgingly give it single of the fortnight as it's like, well, it's the least bad thing here, really. But, I mean, when I first read <laughs> the uh, single reviews, I thought I'd kind of been a bit miserable. But when, when I actually listened to a lot of the songs and reacquainted myself with them, I was like, yeah, most of it is pretty bad, actually. I think I'd be with them on it. I feel a bit sorry for them. I mean, the Juice Mary Chain one, I like that. And Heart is a, is a good single, and they're really down on that. And, you know, it, all right, it's not one of the absolute very, very best Pet Shop Boys songs, but it's a very solid uh, one, you know. It's a good one. But the other stuff, yeah, there's not a lot that floats my boat really there. It's what Andy Bell says about um, Deacon Blue, when will you make my telephone ring? It's very 70s sounding, like a young Joe Cocker. And then he's described as ancient crumbly, who sang the title track to the film An Officer and a Gentleman. <laughs> it, it sounds like a golden oldie, something you'd hear on an old pub jukebox. Um, and then Vince says, except that it's not that golden. <laughs> I think they make a great double act. The way when they get to ACDC, Andy just says, I oh, find this heavy metal stuff a big joke. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and then Vince says that he'd quite like to be a heavy metal guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy says, you'd have to pull all the rock and roll chicks, Vince. Vince, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Vince talking about the Jesus and Mary chain as well. He just sums it up. He says, this is terrible, like a really bad version of T-Rex. And that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, and then the other singles that are reviewed here. So we've got Aha, Stay on These Roads, Everything But The Girl, I Always Was Your Girl. Again, they're not too keen on that, and I thought everybody liked Everything But The Girl. Yeah, I thought they'd be a bit more charitable. Yeah. <laughs> they did get the real stinker, which is Patrick Swayze, She's Like The Wind, so it's oh, like, this is banger. terrible. What are you talking about, Hannah? Oh, Come on. Seriously. So many arguments tonight. It's all going to get a bit rowdy, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not having that. That is a no, it's terrible. There's rancor on the giddy carousel of pop. <laughs> is this the most controversial one you've done yet? <laughs> and then the unlikely combination of Barry Manilow with Kid Creole and the Coconuts. I had no recollection of this no, at all. And when I you, don't remember that. No, and when you listen to it, you can't even tell who's who's doing what, which is something um, that Andy and Vince pick up on as well. It says, well, Andy says, there isn't much Barry Manilow in there. Where does Manilow begin and coconut end? We just don't know. <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. <laughs> but look, there's a picture of them as well, so they really did do the reviews. They're holding the platters. Yep, yep, they've got, got all the singles there. I was wondering how, how they're getting those records to stick together. Are they, are they on a ledge? Or, yeah, they're on a ledge, aren't they? Mm. I was wondering if they glued them together or something like that. They hated the records that much. They were going to glue them together. <laughs> and then burn them or something. Uh, but yeah, Vince does sum it up at the end. He says, uh, to be honest, all the records we've heard were pretty awful. It sounds boring, but I really don't have much of an opinion about pop music. I rarely listen to it. Um, so flip the page, uh, a few uh, film reviews, and uh, then you get the album reviews, which uh, introduce some more incongruity into the proceedings. So alongside the album by Blue Mercedes, which Sylvia Patterson rightly points out as it sounds like ABC, but not as good. <laughs> <laughs> and the album by uh, Taja Seville, which gets a healthy nine out of 10. 
We've also got albums by uh, The Fall and Morrissey and over the page, uh, Prefab Sprout and Talking Heads as well. But The Fall there in uh, Smash It, something that probably didn't happen too often, I guess. No, not so much. I mean, around that time they were having a few very minor hits, weren't they, with, uh, it was, with it covers was, like yeah. Victoria and uh, Ghost in My House. Yeah, it was the pop years of The Fall. Yeah, you know, by their standards. Um, but, yeah, like you say, nice to see them in there. And it gets 7 out of 10, which isn't a bad score at all. So it's quite good, really, if you don't mind people who can't sing. And <laughs> that's yeah, one of the more poppy albums with bricks on that. But nice to see it in there. And do you want to talk about Morrissey? Do you feel you can do that? Uh, well, I mean, at the time, yeah, I'd have been all over it. Um, you know, me and Morrissey, we've we've had a falling out, as uh, many ex-Morrissey fans have, which, uh, you know, we won't go into. But Even those cancel culture people, are you? Granddad spouted about some stuff and you don't like <laughs> yeah, him anymore. Yeah, yeah. Is, this, is this how we feel? Yeah, basically. All right. Yeah, it's good. We're good. Um, yeah, it, was, it just got too um, too strange. But, uh, I mean, the album at the time, you know, particularly in the uh, the lovelorn days of, uh, you know, this this time of my life, it was uh, it was a great comfort to me. And, uh, yeah, Late Night Maudlin Street, which is a, a lovely song, actually, about him growing up in the uh, in the 70s, um, so about seven, eight minutes long with Vinnie Riley on guitar. And that's one of my favourite Morrissey songs. But, yeah, I really struggle to listen to Morrissey these days, unfortunately. Even um, the old stuff. Even the old stuff, yeah. It, everything just feels a bit tainted to me, oh. you know. And, uh, you know, I can appreciate some people think, oh, that's a bit odd, but it's just, yeah, it's just how it is. That's really interesting, though, because I always wonder how Morrissey fans feel they're kind of divided, aren't they? But it takes a lot to fall out of love with your favourite music. Yeah, it does, but it was just, uh, you know, some of the stuff he was coming out with, I, mm. I just didn't, I, I don't know, yeah, it just tainted everything for me, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, I felt like I just didn't really want it in my life anymore. But uh, back then I would never have imagined that that would have ever been mm. the case, you know, but... Hey, there we go. There's lots it's of... It's such a shame, it really is, yeah, for all those songs. But I've got room in my life now for Climby Fisher, so, you know... It's not all bad. <laughs> also, you can just go straight to the Johnny Marr side and get all the electronic albums and just make exactly. your life 100% better. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going through my records uh, just to see what I'd bought from around this period. And uh, the only single on my shelf that I've got from this time is uh, Suedehead, ah, okay. uh, Morrissey, which had come out the month before. And bought nothing else, I think, because I was taping so much stuff off the radio. <laughs> we didn't need to buy anything. No, no, home taping really was killing music. <laughs> uh, and then a review for Dirty Dancing, the video. I seem to remember home videos costing rather a lot back then. But my sister's friend, well, my sister and her friend were both massively into Dirty Dancing, and, and my sister's friend bought the video. My God. <laughs> We used to see that over and over and over. Chris Heath, possibly not the best person to review this. I don't think he's the uh, necessarily the target market for, for Dirty Dancing. Gives it um, 7 out of 10. But all the girls at school were, were massively into Dirty Dancing at, at this time. That is one terrible film, though, isn't it? Well, I was going to ask where you stood on, on Dirty Dancing. This, this is controversial. I know. I feel like I'm betraying my gender and all the women my age by saying this, but it's awful. And I used to have to babysit some kids who really liked it. They must have been rich because they had the VHS. Got got a fair whack for that babysitting, but we'd have to watch it again and again. 
And all I wanted to do was put on um, my live in excess video when they'd gone to sleep and have a special <laughs> moment with Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to get through dirty dancing first. <laughs> Terrible film. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very surprised to hear that. You're probably the first woman I know who's uh, spoken against <laughs> the film. Wow. In a minority. If ever you need someone to, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Love it. <laughs> I, think, I think we need a Twitter poll, don't we? For, uh, <laughs> yes. To find out. Yeah, where where people stand on dirty yeah, dancing. I reckon. I think it's time has come to because uh, it, yeah, it's a little bit out of the culture now, isn't it? When was the, the musical was around a few years ago? Was it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily out of the culture. Is it not? Oh, okay. you know, my my daughter's fourteen and perfect age for it for watching this. She wasn't mad keen on the film, but some of her friends, you know, it's, it's kind of almost like a rites of passage. Oh, okay. Just like Greece was uh, pri- prior to, to Dirty Dancing. Mm. It just seems to be one of those films that lots of people hold dearly. I don't know. The sexual politics is being lifted up in a lake by Patrick Swayze, <laughs> Lord Patrick of Swayze. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure these days. Patrick Swizzle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, do, it does have a review of Three Men and a Baby, which is a stormer of a film. I, I went to the pictures <laughs> to see that, but I don't remember much about it. <laughs> Just, haha, we found a baby. Whose is it? The end. <laughs> oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> Getting rapidly towards the end of the magazine here. So, a couple more adverts. On to mutterings. And then Rick Astley. He's no Michael Hutchins, is he really? <laughs> Staying out was from the from the back of Smash It's. Talking about Rick Astley, I just remember that reminded me of uh, one of the letters from the letters page where um, Rick Astley's. There was a real funny thing about in Smash It's that went through quite a lot of uh, issues about. I think he'd answered on one of the fact files about the first song he'd ever written was called Ruddy Big Pig. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and someone in the on the letters page has set the the lyrics to Ruddy Big Pig because the tune had been forgotten, but they've set the lyrics to Ruddy Big Pig to um, some of the lines from Together Forever. And if you go to the letters page and find that, it kind of explains which lines from Together Forever you need to sing with which lines from Ruddy Big Pig. It's hilarious. It's really. I recommend that. Sorry, I had a lot of fun doing that this yeah. afternoon. <laughs> Sounds like quite the remix. Yeah, it was very good. I might even put it on YouTube. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> do it, do it. Um, so, yeah, we are at the end of the magazine here. And uh, so a- any final thoughts looking back at this period in pop music and the smash hits of the time and this issue in, in particular, Hannah? Um, I just think well, one of the reasons why I chose it is because I think sort of 88, 89, is I think because I was a teenager, I was 16, 17 at that time, but it's such a special time for music for me. And I'm watching all of the Top of the Pops reruns. It's just gone from 88 to 89. And you see how everything starts changing and you've got New Order doing round and round in the studio looking totally miserable. But then you've still got, I don't know, you've got Yaz and you've got all kind of things like Inner City start coming in and all the dance music. And I just remember it being so, so exciting at that time. And we're warming up to the week when the, the Roses and the Mondays were both on top of the pops together. And I just remember thinking there's a, there's a big old world out there and I'm stuck in Ketrin and one day I'll get there. <laughs> but I'd, I've also made recently a 1989 dance compilation. And I was enthusing about it the other day and going, oh, you, I wouldn't believe this is 20 years old. Of course, it's more than 30 years old, but I just think of it as <laughs> being quite current. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, just a great time. 
Uh, Gavin, any any thoughts from you? Well, just in terms of, I, su- I suppose, really, I, I feel like I've been a bit of a downer on some other stuff, but I'd kind of grown <laughs> out of, a, I mean, I'd grown out of Smash Hits by this time, and and I went from Smash Hits probably around about 85, 86, went on to Record Mirror for a little while, and then I was on to the, the weeklies, um, you know, and, and I think by this point I was only getting um, The Enemy and Melody Maker and maybe Sounds, and that was it. So the music I was listening to really was, um, it was pretty much all in, indie-type stuff or, it was, you know, stuff that was um, less pop and, you know, a bit more kind of rocky or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think I'd... I'd just moved on a little bit. I mean, if it had been sort of three years earlier, you know, I kind of knew everything in the charts and I loved pretty much everything in the charts. But um, by now I was thinking, oh, it's a bit it's a bit childish. And, you know, and, and, and I think because of Stock Aitken and Waterman and I really didn't like their sound of music at all. So I was just really put off by a lot of stuff, you know, and I didn't, I think I would watch Top of the Pops sometimes if it was on, but you know it wasn't wasn't something I I really kind of kept on top of. But um, hope I've not rained on your parade too much, Hannah. No, but it's really. <laughs> I think that that kind of experience is really nice. If you think three years before, you'd have there'd have been good pop in the charts, and I think the first time you discover something that isn't like mainstream pop, it kind of forms your identity, doesn't it? Really it? Can does, you remember yeah. the first thing that you you listened to that wasn't like like your first John Peel thing that wasn't in the charts? I suppose, well, really, the Smiths kind of opened stuff up because although they were in the charts, um, mm. so that was Jan- Janice Long stuff and, and listening mm. to things on there and then getting more into the jangly stuff. But then I suppose in terms of record purchases, I remember reading in an interview somewhere, I can't remember, it would have, probably would have been in The Enemy or something, someone name-checked Captain Beefheart and I was about 16 and there was like a, a budget double album kind of uh, thing of um, Safe as Milk and, uh, and Mirror Man. And I bought that and that blew my mind, you know, because <laughs> at first I was like, this is crap. What the hell is this? <laughs> but then, you know, I kind of just kept playing it. And then I was like, oh, this is good. And then I got a cheap Velvet Underground album. So those were the kind of formative experiences mm. in terms of non-mainstream stuff, stuff that, like I say, you'd you'd read about in, in interviews in sort of serious papers a bit more, but um, you wouldn't really kind of hear or, or kind of see any... Um, anything by on telly. But I think that's amazing that you took a chance from reading about it. I think that's a really, that wouldn't happen nowadays, would it? No, no, not at all. But that that was your, your way to find out about mm. things, wasn't it, really? Unless you had a mate with an amazing record yeah. collection and or, you know, older siblings. And I was an only child, so I had to kind of discover everything myself. None mm. of my friends were really into music or, you know, nothing that I liked at all. So, uh but that was nice because it made it yours and it and it was your own little sort of hermetically sealed world of discoveries and, and yeah. obsessions and uh, and one thing led you from another, you know, and you sort of hopped across, oh, there's that, and then you'd read about something else and you sort of link things up yourself. And um, so that I think that's when you become sort of really obsessive about music. And Well, that, that way of discovering things, which it, it, it was a very slow process. Mm. And so you discovered something, you had time to absorb it, which is not something that, that you can really do now. You know, everything's there on, on Spotify or whatever. And you just skip through you know, yeah. genres, eras, whatever, at the click of a button. And it, it, nothing nothing feels as though it sticks in, in the same way that it would when you were going out and you know, either a mate would tape you something or you'd hear something on the radio and it'd take you months to track it down if you wanted it for yourself. Oh, that feeling, though, when you find it, if you've heard yeah. it somewhere, it's like, oh, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really hard to be like a Teenage New Order fan because... 
very few of their song titles are in the song. So like, I don't know what I'm listening to. There's no relation. So I don't even know what I'm asking for here. <laughs> and have you still kept all, all your old uh, issues of Smash Hits? Yeah, they're in my... Every time I move house, the um, Smash Hits Select I was really into. I was a massive fangirl of Select in the 90s and Q. I got all of those and they move house with me every time. And I think one day I'm going to get them out and read them when I have time. Never do. But um, I think Select in particular was, was one of my favourites. But also I remember when we... Um, when we were working on Smash Hits, Kerrang were over the, over the road from us, over the corridor, and they were all lovely. So I think they had a few Kerrangs as well. It was a great time. When you were writing for Smash Hits yourself, was it still, uh, and, and the pieces that you did, but the pieces that other people did, do you think it was informed by the Smash Hits of the 80s when we're at this kind of uh, ridiculous peak of poking fun at pop stars and then isn't this all like a bit weird and a bit of a lark? Is is that the kind of tone that was happening in Smash Hits when you were working on it? Yes, I think it was half and half. You had some people who wouldn't have got those jokes if you'd hit them over the head with them. But also, a lot of us that wanted to keep it how it was and how it how it should be, I think, from very 80s style and I think after I left it was in the Blazing Squad era it was encouraged to be a bit more oh look here's a free pencil case and that's all you need but I think the spirit of it was there when I was there we tried to anyway and we used to dress people up ridiculously and (laughs) we we had Westlife dressed as spacemen and Steps dressed as punks and that kind of thing and I remember I went um one of my worst interviews ever was to go and interview John Bon Jovi at home <laughs> in his, it was, sounds amazing. I was like, this is going to be really amazing. But I was quite a, I was quite a shy person. And I went to his flat and it was just awful being stuck in a room with John Bon Jovi, asking him a few stupid questions, which he just wasn't getting. At one point I started to really talk with my hands to try and get something out of him, you know, kind of G him up a bit. And he said, did you just make the sign of rock to John Bon Jovi? And I was like, I think I did, and you might just want to terminate the interview now. Bye. <laughs> I actually went out 10 minutes early with the PR going, don't you want more time? I was like, no, I don't. I can't get anything. <laughs> I might have actually dropped the kind of, what What colour is Friday? At which point he'd been like, what? It depends what Friday is. Like, oh, no. <laughs> so it was, but then when I read it back, it was, it was actually not a bad interview, but just the... It makes me feel distressed thinking about that 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> so uh, the opposite then of Chambon Jova being like the worst experience, who was the best experience? Who did you enjoy interviewing the most and that you remember most fondly? Um, I've got a few people I was really fond of. One of them, I absolutely hate Boyzone's music, but I absolutely loved Stephen Gately. He really, really got it. He was really cheeky, really, really funny. And you'd ask him... Like, oh, which girls would you like to date Britney? Which girls do you fancy? He'd go, the Queen. (laughs) (laughs) But he was so brilliant. He had such a good sense of humour. And I once wrote a booklet about him as well. That was lovely. And I used to like a lot of the sort of indie people who got it. I remember I did a couple of trips with Ash. I took them to the seaside. And they were just such a laugh. And they would just insult everyone as well (laughs) in a kind of smash it style. But they they were absolute delight, like really charming people. And... Just really, really lovely. Um, I wasn't so keen on Ronan Keating, but there you go. <laughs> Can't have everything. <laughs> With his fancy trousers. <laughs> fancy trousers? <laughs> yes. He had these really hideous trousers that we put him on the cover with. They were like 
probably Versace pattern trousers. And it, they were the worst trousers. We used to take the mickey out of his trousers relentlessly. And I think he got a little bit offended by it. <laughs> we, we used to be very cheeky in the captions. I always remember that. And I don't know if you remember Jessica Simpson. She was a kind of pneumatic blonde American pop star. Yeah. And we used to have this running joke that if anyone had the cleavage out, we'd just put a quote that says, she may have a knockers, but we quite like her. <laughs> and Jessica Simpson sat and read that and went, what's this? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's some hairy moments, I would say. <laughs> uh, quite a few of the people that we've spoken to who worked at Smash It's, uh, not just on the podcast, but Gav, you've met quite a few of the, uh, the ex-Smash It's mm. crew. And everyone seems to remember it the, the most fondly out of everything that they've ever worked on. Is that the same for you? Yes, it's... It's ruins my career, really. The whole, you know, once you've, everyone says this that's worked on it, and we're all really good friends. It's like a small, strange family, slightly dysfunctional. But once you've worked there, there's never another job that's like it. We used to hate weekends and just be looking forward to going into work so that we'd go and eat some free burgers at a showcase after work or go to some free gigs or just hang out with pop stars. And it was incredibly hard work, but also we would never ever see another job like it and you know you'd get to go to New York for 48 hours and be really jet lagged but get to meet the Backstreet Boys and wait 10 hours for them in a hotel room (laughs) getting hysterical (laughs) but it was it was really a glorious glorious job and I've never had one that's matched up to it actually sad I think yeah (laughs) well I think that pretty much wraps things up Hannah thank you so much for taking the time out to talk the hits with us tonight oh thank you it's been such fun to get away with talking about without anyone telling me to shut up it's great (laughs) Uh, if people want to uh, track you down on the internet and see what you're up to and stuff like that Twitter the best place for that oh yeah words by verbs on Twitter okay you get the odd rambling about music and telly and podcasts oh podcasts as well yeah this is uh, so you write about podcasts, don't you? I do, yeah. Is that, is that you slipping me 20 quid there? No, 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 no not at all. <laughs> I'd be quite I, ha- I will. I, I was going to say, I'd be quite happy if you didn't write about it. <laughs> oh, don't want to get too popular yet. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I don't think I'm ready for that kind of scrutiny. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Come and say hello to us at Giddy Pop Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and at giddypoppod.home.blog where you'll also find the links to the edition of Smash It's that we've been looking at, along with those Spotify and YouTube playlists for that extra layer of experience. And we hope you can join us next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Giddy Pop Pod.